The following is intended only for mature audiences. Whoops. Oh. Right out of the gate! That was awesome. Gary Hoffman. That's major style points. Shannon Farron. She likes to impose her will. She's not one that's going to sit back. She's gone out there and done what she wants to do. I mean, what is going on here? Gary and Shannon. Uh, you know, I do like this team. You put up your best pictures and personality traits. You lie about how much money you make. I've seen both your profiles. They're filled with lies. Oh, my goodness. What a change of events here. I just want to do a show where we don't have to play the same music the entire time because somebody died. Of course, Friday was uh, Eddie Money and now Rick Okasik. I've found out that's how you say his name. Rick Okasik from the cars uh, found dead yesterday by his, I guess, ex-wife. I mean, they had been divorced for a short time. Paulina Poroskova. She found him dead in the apartment in Manhattan. And he was uh, somewhere around the... Age of 70, 73, 75, something like that. I think it was 75. I've seen a couple of different reports. Anyway, Rick Ocasek dead at the age of uh, 75. Bottom of the hour, Brian Suits, host of Dark Secret Place, is going to join us. The president says that the United States is locked and loaded in response to the attack on Saudi Arabian oil facilities. Uh, the Houthi rebels in Yemen say they did it. But even if they did it, they did it with weapons that came from Iran pretty clearly. So we'll talk about that with Brian, about whether this means we're uh, just around the corner from WW trips. Um, also, at the top of next hour, Mike Rowe is going to join us. Mike Rowe, the host, of course, of Dirty Jobs, the TV show, and a couple of others, including his podcast. He's got a new book coming out. We're going to be talking more about MikeRoweWorks.org and his push to get people into the trades, an opportunity for you to make a pant load of money, never have to worry about student uh, loan debt or anything like that. And Mike has been uh, very active on this. We'll talk with Mike coming up at 11. we got to start, though, with this, uh, this story that came out of the New York Times over the weekend. And it was about Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. There was an article by Robin Pogrebin and Kate Kelly in the New York Times. And it says, Brett Kavanaugh fit in with the privileged kids. She did not. This is an excerpt that was published on the opinion page in the New York Times. And it goes through and describes one of the instances that we've already heard about Brett Kavanaugh. That while he was at Yale, he'd get drunk and, and, and whip his willy out. And that for one of those people who was the on the receiving end of that, Deborah Ramirez, she was one of those women who saw this thing. She alleged that Brett Kavanaugh exposed his penis, caused her to touch it while they were both inebriated during a drinking game in a dorm suite in 83 or 84. And it's, it's emotional for Deborah Ramirez because she said that she wanted to keep herself chaste until her wedding day. She says, I'd gone through high school, I'm the good girl now, and one evening it was all ripped away because she accidentally touched it when she was trying to swat him away. The key to this New York Times piece, though, is deeper in the story because there's another account 
of of Brett Kavanaugh having done something at a drunken college party. This is from a guy named Max Steyer, classmate of Brett Kavanaugh. And Max Steyer told these two reporters from the New York Times that he saw Brett Kavanaugh with his pants down at a different party and friends had pushed his penis into the hand of a female student. Okay, just that's that's the allegation. The friends pushed the into the hand of the I don't know how that happens. I don't think my friends have ever pushed mine into anything or anybody's hand or anything. But I get it. Uh, people are drunk and they do stupid things. The guy who is making this allegation, by the way, says that he tried to get the FBI to investigate this allegation earlier in the year, back when Brett Kavanaugh was nominated and we were going through the uh, the process and the hearings and all of that sort of thing. Here's a key. This is And this is the key, by the way. This is the key to this New York Times piece. When they published this story late Saturday, early yesterday, they did not include an incredibly important line in the story, which is... They, I'm going to read to you the correction, by the way, that they eventually put in there. Uh, when we first published this article, we did not include one element of the book's account regarding an assertion by a Yale classmate. The book reports that the female student declined to be interviewed. Friends say she doesn't even recall that incident. So the New York Times goes and posts this, right? And immediately when they say, oh, I guess he was hanging his willy out for everybody to look at, Elizabeth Warren says, like the man who appointed him, Kavanaugh, should be impeached. Kamala Harris, she says the Supreme Court justice should be impeached. Joe Biden says that these are profoundly troubling revelations. He stopped short of calling for impeachment. But he did call for an investigation into whether the Trump administration and Republicans pressured the FBI to ignore the evidence. Julian Castro, Bernie Sanders, I'm going to sneeze. I'm allergic to talk of, (laughs) sorry, pushing your penis into someone's hand. Uh, Donald Trump says he is an innocent man who has been treated horribly. Such lies about him. They want to scare him into turning liberal. Listen to this. The New York Times absolutely blew this story. I I get the impression the reason that they put this on the opinion page is so that it does not go through the same what are supposed to be rigorous rules for including something like, oh, I don't know, a sexual assault allegation like this. How you could publish that story and then not include the fact that this woman doesn't even recall it ever happening. She, by the way, is a friend of Deborah Ramirez. She knows Deborah's story about this whole thing. The fact that they had to come back and put an editor's note in all of this was incredible. It was incredible that the New York Times screwed this up so bad. And then, and then, listen, I think the president is a is a is a bumbling goofball when he talks about the news media being the enemy of the people. And then the New York Times goes and does this. This is exactly what he's talking about. You can't do that. You cannot make an allegation like that and then just say, oh, by the way, she doesn't even remember anything like that ever happening. 
And that they didn't totally redact the story. Yeah. They modified it. They modified it. Yeah. They added a line. They added a line. I'll read to you the line that they added to all of this. Um, the female student declined to be interviewed. Friends say she does not recall the episode. Now, why it was not included in the original article doesn't make any sense. But if you go on their New York Times website and find it, you'll find that edited version of that story, but not redacted. Oh, it's going to be story time with Uncle Joe. Corn Pop was a bad dude. Corn Pop was a bad dude. This story from a couple of years ago that Joe Biden told is one of the best spun yarns I think I've ever heard. And it includes things like palmade and bathing caps. Oh, Shannon's out today. She had oral surgery. And the doctor told her not to smile. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. Who's gonna pick you up when you fall? Who's gonna hang it up when you call? Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Rick Ocasek died at the age of uh, 75 yesterday. He was found dead by his ex-wife in their uh, townhome in Manhattan. A bunch of stories that we're following. Of course, at the bottom of the hour, Brian Suit's going to join us. Saudi military spokesman says that initial investigations show that it was Iranian weapons that were used in the attack on the oil installations there in Saudi Arabia. Uh, Houthi rebels in Yemen say they were the ones who did it, but, uh, but it's clearly... At least for the most of every one of us, we believe that Iran, in fact, was behind all of it. So we'll talk with Brian more about that. Some of the response from the president as well. Um, Speaking of the president, he is leaving D.C. tonight. He's headed out to a rally in Albuquerque, New Mexico, before he comes here to California tomorrow. We expect to see the president leave the White House at about one o'clock and as has been his practice in these last couple of weeks. He'll probably make some comments to reporters as he makes his way out to the uh, helicopter. So we'll talk about that. Um, man, this this Joe Biden corn pop story is just unbelievable. Corn pop was a bad dude. All right. So you may have seen this video rolling around. Already Joe Biden is being uh, painted as a bumbling goofball, right? Didn't perform incredibly well in the debates on Thursday. Was trying to scramble for some words. Things seem to slip his mind. Well, this video from 2017 was a ceremony in which the Brown Burton Winchester Park in, uh, I think it's Delaware, was renamed the Joseph R. Biden Jr. Aquatic Center. So they're honoring this guy. And he's going to regale everybody with a uh, with a fun story. Not a joke. Not a joke. Just a full fun story. And it's the weirdest, goofiest, most rambling story about when Joe Biden was a lifeguard at this predominantly black neighborhood pool. And the references that he used, remember when he said record player back on Thursday night? This makes the record player thing sound uh, downright modern. I'm going to have to find some music to play underneath this. Ah, that will do. Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Biden... And the corn pop story. I learned a lot. And I learned that uh, it makes a difference. This was the diving board area. And I was one of the guards. 
and they weren't allowed to do the three-meter board. If you fell off sideways, you landed on the damn, uh, the darn cement over there. And Corn Pop was a bad dude. Corn Pop was a bad And he dude. ran a bunch of bad boys. And I did. And back in those days, you show how things have changed. One of the things you had to use, if you used pomade in your hair, you had to wear a bathing cap. Pomade. And so he was up on the board, wouldn't listen to me. I said, hey, Esther, you, off the board. Or I'll come up and drag you off. Tough guy. Well, he came off. And he said, I'll meet you outside. My car, this was mostly, these were all public housing behind it. My car, there was a gate out here. I parked my car outside the gate. And I, he said, I'll be waiting for you. He was waiting for three guys in straight razors. Not a joke. There was a guy named Bill Wright, Mouse, the only white guy, and he did all the pools. He was the mechanic. And I said, what am I going to do? He said, come down here in the basement. Where mechanics were, where the story is getting weirder. You know, the chain, there used to be a chain that went across the deep end. And he cut off a six foot length of chain. He folded up and said, You walk out with that chain. And you walk to the car and say, You may cut me, man, but I'm going to wrap this chain around your head. Is this edited? I said, no. You're kidding me. He said, No, if you don't, don't come back. And he was right. So I walked out with the chain. Wait, he's getting in a fight. Wait. And I walked up to my car. And they had, they, those days, you used to remember the straight race, you'd bang them on the curb, get them rusty, put them in the rain barrel, rusty. get them rusty. And I looked at them, but I was smart. It's then. going down now. Said, First of all, I said, when I tell you get off the board, you get off the board. Yeah! Again, but I shouldn't have called you, Esther Williams. I apologize. Wait, that. what? I apologize, but I didn't know that apology was going to work. I apologize? Said, you apologize to me? Yeah, I said, I apologize for that, not for throwing you out. But I apologize for what I said. He said, okay, close the straight razor, and my heart began to beat again. Hold on a second. He apologized? There was no fight? There was no straight razors that were rusty? There, were, there was no chain upside his head? Joe, that, that story kind of sucked. I, was, I wanted there to be blood or something. Here's the weirdest part about this. That whole story is 100% true. You know how he cannot figure out the details of the uh, the story where he flew to Afghanistan and the member of the military didn't want the award that he was about to, the medal that he was about to pin. He can't get any of those things straight. But he can remember a warm day back in 1962 where an old guy named Corn Pop was was, you know, Making trouble for him at the local pool. Corn Pop was a bad dude. Bad dude. Well, that is the funniest. That's the funniest Joe Biden thing. Yes, it's two years old, but that's, come on. If there's no better illustration of who Joe Biden is, it's that he was ready, he was ready and willing to wrap a six-foot length of chain around Corn Pop's head and decided to defuse the whole situation by apologizing for referring to Corn Pop as Esther. Because of the bathing cap over the pomade. This is a weird world, man. All right, coming back. Brian Suits is going to join us. What does it mean to be locked and loaded? Why is the vice president's chief of staff suggesting it has to do with oil prices and not military response? We'll talk more about what's going on in Saudi Arabia and what Iran is responsible for when we come back to the Gary and Shannon show.
Gary and Shannon. KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Big stories that we're following today. The president is going to be on his way out west. Uh, starting tonight, he's going to be in Albuquerque for a rally. And then tomorrow, he's got a couple of uh, events out here in California. We'll know more tomorrow about the exact schedule and when he's going to be at LAX, etc. That sort of a thing. Uh, talks between GM and United Auto Workers continue. But right now, 49,000 UAW members walked off the job after midnight. They said that they have uh, had months of negotiations, wages, plant closures, and other issues haven't budged much. So they shut down 33 manufacturing plants in nine states and 22 parts distribution warehouses. And a little bit later, we'll talk more as well about uh, OxyContin maker Purdue. They requested bankruptcy protection last night. Uh, other states that are continuing to sue say that this isn't going to change anything. They're still going to go after them. Well, uh, the big news from over the weekend internationally was that somebody went after and uh, destroyed a big part of an oil processing plant, a key oil uh, field in Saudi Arabia. And uh, the Houthi rebels in Yemen said it was them. Uh, We all say it was not them. It was probably, even if they were the ones who launched whatever attack, they used Iranian weapons that were supplied by the, you know, Iranians. Brian Suits, host of Dark Secret Place, who did this? Uh, the Iranians, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, did this because they want to precipitate a war to prevent Trump's re-election. The, the shooting down of the Global Hawk drone three months ago didn't work. <clears throat> uh, Trump backed off, and so this is a Hail Mary or a, or a Male Harry or you know whatever you want to uh, call it and and the, the, just on the face of it, the the Houthi rebels have uh, benefited quite a bit from Iranian assistance in that they literally set up a factory to make drones so that they could attack the Dubai International Airport from Yemen. Okay, but that's only a couple hundred miles. Uh, the the Houthis did not have the capability to sh- to fly drones a thousand miles. Uh, even on a suicide mission. And besides, we, we have video from Kuwaitis uh, who who overheard these things flying over Kuwait. Um, but this this is uh, their, the uh, the IRGC, the Islamic Revolution Corps, as I've, I've, uh, I think I've said on your show before, uh, people need to understand this is a state within a state. They're like the old KGB in the Soviet Union. They, they exist to exist. So when you see Javad Zarif speaking English, and clucking and saying, no, there's no way we did this. He's not in the loop. This is not his loop. He's, he's in the uh, blazer and, and pants loop uh, where they, they act like their diplomats actually are significant and mean something and have authority. But they're not in this loop. And they, they are on a path where they, they need a war before November of 2020. Because why? Trump ran saying these endless wars i'm going to get us out of them you know and the whole thing um and and this was this is after he fires bolton last week um where the the diplomats the guys speaking english wearing blazers were saying oh you know maybe that's a olive branch and he's talking about lifting sanctions and this is where the irgc islamic revolutionary guard corps they they step in and say we think not and so uh, because people need to understand, if if there was one single target in Saudi Arabia that you would, if they were your enemy and you want to cripple their economy, this would 
Bia, the Upkike um, uh, oil processing facility. Imagine, you know, where's the biggest refinery in SoCal? Isn't that one down in Commerce or whatever? Yeah, I think. Okay, imagine 10 Commerces um, uh, processing absolutely every drop of oil, you know, out of Kern County or whatever. And that's what this is, because the Saudis don't just pump crude into your tanker. Several decades ago, they realized, you know what, if we refine it here, we can charge even more. And so that's what they do. And so the September oil is still being loaded today. Uh, Indonesian tankers, Japanese tankers, they're, they're still loading what's you know literally in the pipeline. But the Saudis are looking at this, and they realize that this is an Achilles heel. It was identified years ago. The Iranians... Uh, hit it, and this is a for, for the Saudis. This is a fifty billion dollar hit, and you know they have the convenient beard of saying, "Oh, it was the Houthis." But I, I think we're we're done with you know, your proxy army. If it's the Houthis, it's you guys. And so the the Iranians are are trying to provoke a war, pure and simple. Well, is there a difference? Uh, or, or what impact would it be if these cruise missiles, we believe, were launched from Iraq versus Iran? Or is there a difference? It, it's a difference without a distinction or a distinction without a difference, because the southern Iraq is a province of Iran at this point. The, the Iraqi militias that defeated ISIS are trained, equipped, and paid for by the IRGC, uh, by Iran. Uh, they, they are openly driving around Basra, uh, uh, you know, men speaking Persian or Persian accent in Arabic are are you know picking up the hookers of Basra and and the whole thing. And uh, but in in all likelihood, these were physically launched from Iran. Um, but but if like as I say, it's a distinction without a difference. If, if it was done from southern Iraq, like the Kuwaitis are, I mean, they wanted the shortest distance so that there would be maximum fuel on board. And it's possible they even took the warheads off the cruise missiles because you don't doesn't take a hell of a lot to, you know, uh, ignite a gigantic you know, one million gallon tub of natural gas. And uh, and and also, so people understand the difference here. Cruise missiles are long range airplanes without a pilot with a larger warhead. When we say drones, we're not talking about the you know quad rotor uh, you know guy shooting a car commercial in Santa Clarita. We're talking about a fixed wing, smaller uh, aircraft that, for all intents and purposes, is a cruise missile. But they release satellite photos that show distinct precision uh, in penetrating these various tanks and then hitting the exact places in the processing plant where it would do the maximum damage because. The Iranians aren't dummies. They, you know, they have petroleum engineers as well, and they know exactly where to hit. And so it's there's really and and, and before anyone denounces me and says, "Oh, this is a Trump false flag," no, no, it's the opposite. This is the Iranians with a look at my flag. I'm flying my flag. See that flag? It's the Iranian flag operation. They, you have to understand, they want this. They want this badly because they have privates and corporals and low-ranking sergeants that they can sacrifice at the altar of getting uh, uh, defeating Trump's re-election. Well, they've they've already said they're they're ready for I mean denying obviously that they did the attack, but they're saying they're ready for war. The president said that we are locked and loaded, although for some reason the vice president's chief of staff said that wasn't a reference to military action. It was a it was a reference to 
strategic oil reserves. Locked and loaded has nothing to do with oil. Mm, yeah, that's that's fairly martial talk. And, and um, <laughs> as we speak, uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia is one of their government aircraft, and Airbus um, went from D.C. It was in D.C. all morning long. There were several motorcades going in and out of the White House. The KSA Royal Airbus then left Dulles and went to New York, and there were consultations at the U.N., and as of about half an hour ago, that Airbus is headed back to Saudi Arabia. So this is not anything that's going to happen today, but but possibly by the end of the week. But the, the Saudis are furious. We are We confirm with them. That yeah, it was the Iranians. And then, did you see yesterday uh, the the president? You know, Pompeo can blame the Iranians at three p.m. on Sunday. Um, that's that's a fact. That was available for absolutely everyone to see at three p.m. He said it wasn't the Houthis; it was the Iranians. And then the president said it was the Iranians, and we're waiting for the kingdom. And he right. capitalized it. He said we're we're waiting for the kingdom to to guide us and what they need us to do. And so what's shaping up, it looks very likely that a, the Saudis have five years of combat experience in Yemen. So it's like, you know, I think you'll lead, lead the sled on this one. But we'll su- probably support them with electronic warfare, air-to-air refueling, resupply of bombs. But, 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 but Trump has to do something now because he's being made a fool by the Iranians. And that has been explained to him today by the Saudi foreign minister, Al-Jubair, uh, who's a very eloquent, colloquial, endless speaker. And and there's nothing Trump hates worse than to look like a fool. And so something kinetic is going to happen. So like, like I tweeted last night, folks, go to Kern County and fill up your gas tank. <laughs> Do it quickly because it's going to get worse. I save, I, save, I save 40 cents a gallon, man. <laughs> uh, in, in light of Joe Biden's corn pop story, what would be your uh, cereal-based gang name? Count Chocolate was a bad dude. Yeah, he was a bad dude. Thanks, Brian. He, he ran a bunch of he ran a bunch of bad dudes like Quisp and Pooberry. <laughs> he was he was a Count Chocolate was a was a bad dude. Don't get me started on the captain either, Captain Crunch. And nice to hear from you too, Shannon. Thanks for chiming in. Well, you know she she literally had her jaw sewed shut, which is weird because we'll see when yeah. she comes back. All right, thanks, man. Brian, Brian Suits there, host of Dark Secret Place. When we come back, the latest on Purdue Pharma. Uh, bankruptcy It's a way to get out from under these uh, lawsuits, they hope. Gary and Channel will continue in a moment. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 Live, everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Interview with Mike Rowe coming up right after the uh, news at the top of the hour. Purdue Pharma has uh, filed for bankruptcy. Uh, The company made billions of dollars selling OxyContin starting way back in 1996. Uh, Purdue filed for bankruptcy in White Plains, New York, just last night. They reached a tentative settlement with a bunch of the states and governments that have been suing it because of the cost of dealing with the opioid epidemic. Now, there's a couple of weird things involved here because this filing was anticipated. We knew that this was going to come. We just didn't know when. Could be worth up to $12 billion, this uh, this tentative settlement that they had worked on. Now, some states are already saying they will not sign on to this settlement. 
A lot of them say they hate the idea that Purdue Pharma is going into bankruptcy court and they will continue to sue specifically the members of the family that own Purdue Pharma, the Sackler family, Mortimer and Raymond Sackler. These are great names. The family agreed to pay $3 billion in the settlement plus contribute the company itself, which would be reformed and all of the future profits would then go towards the uh, go to the company's creditors. Now, there are so many states that have said no to the original settlement. That could cause some problems when it comes to this bankruptcy process. And the Sackler family said even though they're going to work to do so, they're going to work to try to get more and more people uh, sorry, more and more states, that is, to sign on to the settlement, they don't think they're going to be able to. Some of the issues that, that could be decided include whether the lawsuit against the Sacklers in those state courts would be able to move ahead, and then what would happen to the company itself as it undergoes bankruptcy protection. Under the uh, the settlement deal, it would continue to operate. And like I said, all of the profits would then simply go to the creditors. But another uh, option would be for a judge, just order it to be sold, which is possible. And we didn't get a chance to talk about this on Friday, but the New York Attorney General's office Friday filed papers that said that the Sackler family used hidden overseas accounts to transfer a billion dollars to themselves, apparently to protect themselves against what was about to be a massive fallout when these lawsuits were announced and looked like they were going to lose every single one of them. Of course, the, the assertion is that Purdue Pharma and the Sackler family aggressively sold OxyContin starting in 1996 and you said it was a drug with a low risk of addiction, even though they knew that that was not true. Uh, OxyContin, of course, saw in the 20 years, 23 years now since it's been out, addiction overdoses have surged. There were more than 47,000 opioid deaths in 2017 and 18. And now... It's changing into a lot of heroin, fentanyl overdoses as well because doctors are actually cracking down on the prescription of painkillers like this. So they have filed for bankruptcy. We'll see what this does with the rest of the settlement. All right. Uh, Mike Rowe, host of Dirty Jobs and Somebody's Got to Do It and Returning the Favor. He's going to join us in a couple of minutes. We're going to talk about, hey, if your kid doesn't want to go to college, don't make him go to college. Gary and Shanna will continue right after this. Gary and Shannon on this Monday. It is uh, September 16th, KFI AM 640 Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Big stories that we're keeping our eyes on. Of course, the Saudi military spokesman says their investigation shows that it was Iranian weapons that were used in the weekend attack on the nation's oil installations. President Trump is expected to make some comments. He's uh, at an event uh, in the White House right now and then is expected to also leave the White House. He's coming out to... uh, coming out west he's gonna be in new mexico tonight and then tomorrow we'll spend some time here in california so uh when he makes some comments we'll bring those to you of course gm united auto workers continue to talk but the united auto workers are off the job they walked off after midnight and purdue pharma i was mentioning purdue pharma the maker of oxycontin has requested bankruptcy protection well Several years ago, I had a chance to uh, to interview Mike Rowe, of course, a host of Dirty Jobs, and somebody's got to do it, and returning the favor, among other things. And at the time, my 15-year-old son 
was beginning this process of trying to figure out what to do in terms of after high school, figuring out what he wanted to do and what he didn't want to do. And one of the things that we eventually came to a conclusion was he didn't want to go to a four-year school. He didn't love school. He wanted to work with his hands, and that's exactly what he's doing after he graduated from high school. Uh, Mike Rowe is joining us now to talk more about MikeRoweWorks.org and the, the whole idea of getting into the trades. Mike, thanks for taking time for us today. Let me push that button. There it is. Hey. Yeah. Hey, man. Thanks for having me back. Tell me about your boy. What's he doing now? Uh, well, he's he's done a couple of things. He's working in a tire shop, but uh, he got into welding after a while, um, got into car mm-hmm. sales after a while, which is an odd twist for a 19-year-old boy. Um, but, but we decided, my, my wife and I made the decision with him, we're not going to have the fight of trying to get, trying to shoehorn a kid into a four-year university. I'm not going to pay for it if he doesn't want to go. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, times have changed, you know, when you and I grew up, you could basically have the same kind of conversation with your kid and punt because if you looked at a liberal arts degree, you could say, okay, well, you know, it, it's it's not going to hurt him or her. And just because you're not quite sure what you want to do doesn't mean it's not worth spending some money to get a broad-based look at what the options are. But obviously, you know, for me, that was back in 1980, and I wound up getting a four-year liberal arts degree uh, that cost about $12,000. And today, the exact same thing from the exact same school would cost closer to 90. So you, you can't just sit down and pretend like you have all of the money in the world and go out and experiment. It, the, the cost of entry just got too steep. So what would you say to a 19-year-old kid? I mean, no, I'm not going to ask you to, to uh, tailor a letter to him like you did five years ago, but I mean, here's a kid who, you know, in terms of what he wants to do, he knows he wants to work. He gets great enjoyment out of working. Uh, and mm-hmm. he's and he's smart enough to put this stuff together. Uh, I have always said, if you want to go to school at some point down the road, I got you. I got your back. I have socked away money since you were a baby to plan for that sort of a thing. Um, isn't it better that you wait to figure out what it is you want to do? Well, look, I don't want to overreach, but one thing, in my opinion, is, is certain you can't want for your kid something more than he wants for him. And it's natural, obviously, to want what's best for our kids, but we don't always know. And if they're not sure either, it just comes back to the same basic calculus. How much can we afford to spend in the absence of certainty versus how much time do you want to spend post high school really taking an honest look at all of the options that are out there. And when I say all of the options, I, I really mean that, you know, there's some, there's some terrific paths that can open up as the result of getting a a four year degree. I would, I would never dispute it, but so many kids don't even get a look at the potential path to prosperity that begins with the mastery of a trade. And this is part of the trick, Gary. It's, it's part of the lie too. We, we kind of frame this conversation in terms of, okay, well, if you go here, this is your job, period, the end. If you learn to weld, you're going to weld for the next 30 years. Well, of course, that's not the way it works. You know, these are, especially in the skilled trades, you, 
you have to look at it like a ladder and you have to look at the rungs truly as opportunities to increase your mastery and move on to the next thing. The reason that I'm still doing what I'm doing in terms of running this foundation is because after 11 years now, we actually have a thousand or so examples of people who started down a path with a, with a mastery of say a welding certification or uh, carpentry or plumbing or steam fitting or pipe fitting or mechanical. These things will never hurt you. You know, it's dating. You don't have to marry them and get it into your head that that's what you're going to be forever and ever. Amen. That's part of the, uh, that's part of the lie that's baked into the transaction and not to make it sound overly sinister, but I do believe it's all part of a, of a larger effort to push the largest amount of kids into a funnel that essentially is the most expensive path. And it's simply not the best path for the most people. It's just the most expensive. Yeah, I, I, I think back to um, to the expectation, I guess, when I was growing up, both of my older sisters went to college and there was just an assumption I was going to go to college. But somebody asked me about 10 years ago, one of the local universities uh, had me out to talk to the class and they asked, you know, uh, if I could do the communications degree again, would I? And I said, hell no, not at all. Not, not only was it expensive, but the things that I learned about communication are all things that would either be corrected or completely dispelled by the time I got into the business. So, well, <laughs> no, I'm just laughing because I, I, I went through the same exact thing. I, I majored in speech and communications. And to this day, if you go to the classified section, you're not going to you're not going to see a lot of openings for communicators or <laughs> right. speechifiers. Now, you will find openings for welders and plumbers. So, you know, I know that's kind of a glib thing to say because, to be fair, you know, my everything I learned in those communications courses did improve my capacity to perform in a lot of different areas, but it didn't guarantee me anything. And so the idea that we're baking into the transaction some kind of promise, you get your degree and then this is going to happen, that's the first thing that's utterly fallacious and has to be uh, debunked. But the second thing that you just kind of alluded to that really has changed since the days when you and I matriculated um, is, is the cell phone or the, the smartphone that's in your pocket right now or sitting there on the console. You have, with that thing, access to 99% of all the known information. I can, right now, hop online, go to YouTube, and I can watch excellent lectures on communications uh, at Yale or MIT or Harvard or Brown or William & Mary or any of the Ivy League. Part of what we paid for once upon a time was access to information, access to, to big brains and, and good professors who could impart information in a compelling way. Well, guess what? That's all available right now, basically for free, to anyone with a device or an Internet hookup. So I don't really mean to, to compare you know, a, a four-year experience at Princeton with going down a series of YouTube videos. But I do a little bit because fundamentally the, the information is the same. And if you're possessed with a curious mind 
and you're determined to give yourself a broad-based understanding of the liberal arts, you can do that now for pennies on the dollar. Mike, can you stick around for another segment? I'm never leaving, Gary. Oh, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. Uh, <laughs> we're talking with, uh, with Mike Rowe, and when we come back, I want to ask more about the Mike Rowe Works Foundation and this PR campaign that we've started to try to get more people into, the, into skilled labor, because uh, we're going to need it coming up soon. Uh, again, Mike Rowe is our guest. We'll come back with him in just a second. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Continuing our conversation with Mike Rowe. Of course, host of Dirty Jobs. Somebody's got to do it. 11 years ago, Mike created the Mike Rowe Works Foundation talk about uh, skilled labor and the need for skilled labor and why it is a viable option and not just something to keep you busy or, or you know, uh, waste time with. This is a real thing. So, Mike, tell us more about the Work Ethic Scholarship Program. Well, at base, it's an attempt to reward the kind of behavior I think most people would like to encourage. There are scholarships out there for just about everything. You know, we've got money set aside. Uh, as a society for people who achieve great things academically or um, athletically or even artistically. But it struck me back in 2008 that there really wasn't a program designed to reward and encourage work ethic. And, of course, it's difficult to define that. It means different things to different people. But for me, it was a celebration of the kinds of people we profiled on dirty jobs, people who show up early, stay late and most importantly, master a skill that was truly in demand. So in 2008, when the economy really tanked um, and it became obvious that aside from having millions of unemployed people, we also had millions of open positions that employers just couldn't fill. It became obvious there was a skills gap, and we figured the uh, part of the problem was that people just weren't celebrating certain opportunities opportunities that had come or become synonymous with a kind of, uh, call it a a vocational consolation prize. So back to the college thing, you know, these are the jobs you do if you're not cut out for college. The whole positioning was just wrong and the whole presentation was just uninteresting. So my foundation tries to put viable uh, opportunities in a better light by disproving the myths and misperceptions that typically keep millions of kids from pursuing those opportunities. The Work Ethics Scholarship Fund is just a, a, a chunk of money, modest by most foundation standards. We've given away between five and six million dollars, but it all goes towards people who are, who are committed uh, to working hard uh, in the pursuit of mastering a skill that's not necessarily their wish fulfillment, but rather a skill that's truly in demand that society needs filled. Uh, you can find out more information about the Work Ethics Scholarship Program when you go to microworks.org. Uh, but, Mike, you've been you've been busy with your podcast, The Way I Heard It, of course. You can hear it on the iHeartRadio app, because we have to say that uh, at anywhere podcasts are played. Uh, but you have a book coming out next month, too. Yeah, the, the whole podcast thing got out of control. You know, it started <laughs> with, uh, I write... 
I write short stories for the curious mind with a short attention span and the style of the old Paul Harvey, um, the rest of the story. Uh, I call mine the way I heard it. I've got about 150 of them out there. And then uh, a publisher called, Simon & Schuster, and said, how about a book? So I said, yeah, I'll write a book. So the book's called The Way I Heard It. (laughs) And uh, it comes out in a couple of weeks. And we're all excited about it. And now there's a TV show by the same title as well that I just finished shooting last week. So... You know, this thing started as me sitting on planes trying to amuse myself with short mysteries, and now it's uh, completely out of control, for which I'm grateful. Hey, the good news is you don't have to print new T-shirts every time you come up with a title for something. It's, it's <laughs> well, well, the truth is I've been doing the same damn show, you know, since since 2001. I just changed the title every few years. So <laughs> 30 Jobs became Somebody's Got to Do It. Somebody's Got to Do It became Returning the Favor. Returning the Favor is now, you know, the way I heard it. So... You know, it's back to the communications degree we were talking about. In the end, this is what you and I do. It's really just a question of trying to keep ourselves amused and, uh, you know, shining it off and buffing it up every couple of years and hopefully staying relevant or something like it. (laughs) To to that end, I think there's some like, you know, I I get to sit here and do this for four hours a day and I come home uh, and I want to do I want to build a bookcase or I want to replace the window or I want to fix the sliding glass. There's something so satisfying about having physically accomplished something at the end of the day as opposed to sitting around for four hours. And visually, people ask me all the time, you know, what the dirty jobbers know that that so many other people have forgotten. And it's a long list of things. But somewhere near the top is that sense of completion. Yeah where if you're in the middle of a construction project, for instance, you can look around any time during the day and you know exactly how you're doing. You don't need a foreman or a boss to tell you. You can you can gauge your own progress as you go. And there are a lot of jobs that, that don't offer that today. But uh, yeah, your kid is you know on the track uh, to be surrounded by, by immediate gratification or feedback anyway. Uh, for the rest of his career, that's that's a cool thing. Well, Mike, I hope that uh, next time you're in L.A., you come by and uh, we hang out. I'll buy you a cup of coffee or something. Well, you know what? If you do that, I'll bring an autographed version of my book, The Way I Heard It, and uh, with my compliments. <laughs> awesome. And you can find out more. Pre-order the book, MikeRow.com slash book. You can find it everywhere, uh, other places that books are sold as well. But, Mike, thanks again for your time today. Hey, and I appreciate the invite. Give uh, give my best to your kid. I, I will. I applaud what he's doing. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. You got it. Mike Rowe there. Again, um, you can go to microworks.org, R-O-W-E, microworks.org, to check out uh, the information on the Work Ethics Scholarship Program. Maybe you got a kid who is not a four-year college kid, and you're going to want to push him into uh, some skilled labor. Don't, don't push him into it. Give him the option. Getting a, a good trade. Also, MikeRow.com podcast is where you can see the way I heard it, where you can listen to it, and MikeRow.com slash book to get the book of the same name. All right, when we come back, I'm going to update you on uh, this. I don't know if you saw this. Menstrual cups have, for some reason, uh, become the new thing, and we have to talk about the menstrual cup that was apparently tossed in the state Senate over the weekend. Gary and Shannon will continue in a moment. Gary and Shannon. Let's go. 
KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Man, that was very nice of Mike Rowe to give us a full half an hour there. Um, hey, Nick, what do you think? Maybe we re- revisit that in the 130? Yeah, why not? People didn't catch it. Great information there. Um, again, you can go to Mike Rowe with an E, MikeRoweWorks.org. Find out more about the scholarship. And just go to MikeRoe.com. Learn about the podcast and his book and new shows and all that sort of stuff. Uh, following the stories out of uh, Saudi Arabia, of course, the attack on the oil facility there. Saudi officials say it was Iran. Iran says it wasn't us. The Houthi rebels in Yemen say it was them. They're the ones responsible for it. And the president has said we, the United States, locked and loaded. Although it's not necessarily... Uh, pertaining to military action, but I don't know when else anybody uses that term. President right now is actually uh, giving Mariano Rivera the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the uh, the highest civilian honor that you can receive. Mariano Rivera, of course, the pitcher for the Yankees for a long time. Anyway, if he makes comments about any of this, we'll bring them to you. Um, there was a, a very strange event that happened over the uh, the final session in the state Senate on Friday, a woman threw something on the floor of the Senate, and it there's no nice way to describe it. but as as she threw it onto the floor of the state Senate, she screamed out, that's for the dead babies. There was a video that was posted on the uh, on Twitter. It shows a woman telling California Highway Patrol officers who run security there in the uh, state capitol, quote, my menstrual blood is all over the Senate floor. That same account, by the way, that same Twitter account has a bunch of videos of anti-vaccine protests that took place Friday at the Capitol. There's a couple things going on here. She's clearly anti-abortion, and we know that the state Senate was looking at a bill to allow college campuses to pass out the morning-after pill. That's probably, see, the thing is nobody quite knows exactly what she was doing there, but <clears throat> that's probably what she was doing there. The Highway Patrol cleared the floor of the state Senate about 5.15 and literally surrounded the state Senate floor with crime scene tape. They did arrest her on six charges after what the report says she threw a feminine hygiene device containing what appeared to be blood onto the Senate floor. Uh, the Assembly went back in session on Friday. The Senate reconvened about three and a half hours later in the largest committee room because the chambers, the state Senate chambers, were still a crime scene. It was the first time the state Senate did not meet in the state Senate since 2001 when a guy drove a semi-truck into the south side of the Capitol, which is where the uh, state Senate is. The the liquid, whatever it was, by the way, I don't, know, I don't know if it was a menstrual cup, but that's the way it was described in the New York Daily News. This liquid thrown from the upstairs gallery hit several legislators. 
Senator Holly Mitchell had a splotch on her desk. Senator Steve Glazer from Orinda tweeted a picture of a menstrual cup with red liquid inside. Said that um, that Holly Mitchell, Melissa Hurtado, Nancy Skinner, Kathleen Galgiani, Susan Rubio were all hit by this liquid. Tom Atkins, the Senate president pro tem, said a crime was committed today, but the Senate will not be deterred from conducting the people's business. We have legislation left to do. According to this woman's father, she's 43. I'm not going to tell you her name. It's not important. But her father told the Sacramento Bee this woman opposes abortions and vaccines. And others uh, told the newspaper she may have been protesting this measure, which would allow abortion pills on college campuses. And like I said earlier, there were several other protests uh, against a recently signed law that would regulate vaccine exemptions. The dad says she's always been outspoken and she has always been one to express her opinion. She has seven children, including triplets, according to dad. She, that, we're all crazy, I think. I think that's probably, oh, and that's not even the craziest story of the weekend. Did you hear about the mass shooting threat at the L.A. County Fair? It's nothing. Don't worry. You could still go to the fair. But the reason that the guy gave for threatening a mass shooting at the fair, I laughed out loud Saturday night when I saw this. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. The attack on the Saudi oil facility, the big stories, of course. Saudi investigators say they believe that it was Iranian weapons that were used in the attack. president has said we're locked and loaded. Although the, the tweet is now has people concerned that we're talking about going to war. The vice president's chief of staff held an event where he cleared some of this up, kind of. He claimed that the president's tweet about being locked and loaded is a statement about U.S. energy dependence. That doesn't make any sense. Price of oil is up about 10% in trading, but they're saying that soon, within the next few days, we could see the price of gasoline go up 10, 10 to 25 cents sometime in just the next few days. Uh, president is holding a rally in Albuquerque tonight. He's going to roll through L.A. and uh, up in the San Francisco Bay Area tomorrow. And uh, they're not giving out a whole lot of details. So once we find out more about sort of the traffic impacts, perhaps, of the president coming into town, we'll let you know. Also, the president is holding a ceremony right now. He's giving uh, Mariano Rivera, former Yankees pitcher, the the Medal of Freedom. And uh, didn't make any comments any uh, about Saudi Arabia, Iran, anything but we know that he is meeting with uh, an ambassador from Bahrain at the White House today. And when he leaves to go to Albuquerque, he's going to have to walk in front of all the reporters. And he uh, does not see a scrum of reporters that he doesn't like. And he will probably stop and make some comments. And when he does, we will bring those to you. Well, a 22-year-old man was arrested over the weekend on suspicion of making false claims about a possible active shooter at the L.A. County Fair. 
the uh, police chief in Pomona, Michael Olivieri, explained that Eric Villasenor uh, was arrested late Friday on suspicion of emailing the threat to the Fair Association. I guess he, in the email, this 22-year-old guy, said that someone was planning on doing a mass shooting Sunday at the fairgrounds. And he just want. I just want to inform you guys. So nice and casual-like, right? Uh, and that was all that was said, according to the chief. So obviously, in today's world, a message like that is very concerning. So once they get this email, of course, at the Fair Association, the detectives call up the FBI, and very quickly they're able to identify three potential suspects who could be connected to the email address, which is interesting because I don't know anybody who, I, I don't know, I don't know what the email address was. Was it uh, Big Pants? Was it I Like uh, Pork? Or was it just the guy's name at gmail.com? They figured out, they narrowed it down to three potential suspects. They eventually picked, it was Eric Villasenor, they go to his house. They make the arrest. He admits the whole thing is a hoax. He totally made it up. And even though, even though Pomona police and other agencies that helped secure the, uh, the Fairplex increased security. I mean, just recently they had a new command center that they built in the middle of the fairgrounds where police and fire and other emergency staff can report respond can coordinate a response to an emergency but here's the key the key to all of this why was why why would the guy do this why would a guy sitting in his home email the fair association and say that there's going to be a shooting sunday at the fairgrounds that part's not funny what's funny is the police said he did it because he didn't want to go to the fair with his parents 22-year-old guy living at home already probably spends enough time with mom and pop and does not want to go to the fair with them because he's going to want to ride the rides and and they're not. Here is the uh, chief of police for Pomona. He felt that it was appropriate to send this threat and we believe it was with the intent that it would be, uh, you know, spark some chaos and and commotion. It would be uh, captured on the media and that then he could use as a, as an excuse to his uh, parents uh, to not go to the fair. <laughs> that guy has got some problems. and it's, Not a joke. I know, Joe. It's not a joke, but it's still important. This guy did not want to go to the fair with his parents, so he, uh, he sent the threat to the fair association. One of your last chances, by the way, to join the entire KFI cast for a magical evening at a secret, undisclosed mansion in the Hollywood Hills, which is, of course, famous for, you know, magic. Charitable donation will include a gourmet dinner, cocktails, free valet parking, live Tim Conway Jr. show broadcast, and tons of magic from some of the most well-known magicians in the country. It's coming up in the middle of October, so we just got a short time left. Huge deal. We're going to have the whole place to ourselves, and it's almost castle-like how big this place is. Single tickets available for $350, couples for $640, and group ticket discounts are also available. But these are limited edition tickets. We've just released a small amount of them. Small, that is. Benefits the American Red Cross Initiative to Get Prepared California. For more details about the night and about what you can experience, log on to KFIAM640.com and use the keyword Red Cross. Another event to tell you about is coming up next weekend. Not this weekend. Next 
next weekend, October 4th, 5th, and 6th. We are going to be out there, and uh, so is the Great Pacific Air Show returning to Huntington Beach. Combines the excitement of extreme sports and high-tech aerial maneuvers and all of that stuff. We will be out there as well. Shannon and I doing the Gary and Shannon Show broadcast live on Friday, October 4th. We'll be right there on the pier. Neil Savage is going to be out there on Saturday, October 5th from 2 to 5 doing the Fork Report. And then Dean Sharp broadcasting live from 9 in the morning to 11 on Sunday for his show as well. Last year, there were more than 2 million people who attended the air show and made it one of the best air show experiences ever. And and this year, they just got back the United States Air Force Thunderbirds. So I get to say hello to my old unit. I mean, because as a pilot... <laughs> oh. As a pilot, we like to hang out. We like to share yeah. stories yeah. about stuff. Well, you did fly it, Jet. I did. I flew an F-16. Flew in a jet. No, I flew it. No. Okay. I mean, I didn't start it. And didn't take off. I didn't take off or and land, it. land it. I mean, I was in it, but when it yeah. did those things... But I did fly it, and I did a I did a full barrel roll. Maybe they'll invite you to fly again. They will not actually. I, it's one of the things that you have to sign when you uh, agree to go. But you never go. get to do it ever again I in never, your life. They wow. will never ask me again. <gasps> That's gotta hurt. Yep. Yep. Because they didn't make me throw up the first time, so they were gonna. They want the second chance. That's what I know. <laughs> we'll do our uh, trending stories when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Shannon, Monday, September 16th, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Shannon's out today, had a little uh, dental procedure done today, so she's alive, or at least somebody's texting using her phone, so we know that. Uh, She'll be back tomorrow, no worries. Bottom of the hour, we'll get into Swamp Watch, talk about... uh, Talk about some of the stuff that's going on in the campaign. Touch a little bit, of course, on the Saudi oil attack. Now the United States is apparently telling other countries and other allies that the attack did originate inside the country of Iran. Iran says those accusations are baseless. Talk about that coming up. Um, Also, quick recap uh, on some of the football stuff from yesterday, including Antonio Brown, uh, the now Patriots receiver, disappeared after that game in Miami yesterday after he scored a touchdown. And uh, his accuser, at least one of them, is talking with NFL investigators today. So we'll talk about that. But it's time for uh, it's time for trending. What's happening? Time for What's Happening. These are the stories that are trending right now on social media. Hurricane Umberto right now turns away from the United States, but uh, still causing some trouble along the North Carolina coast. And by trouble, just really some high surf and some strong rip currents. For the most part, Umberto um, will probably pass close to Bermuda, maybe even still as a hurricane. But for the most part, this is not going to be as big a problem as it looked like it was at the end of last week. General Motors and UAW are both trending today simply because the United Auto Workers walked off the job. 
strike began at midnight. As many as 50,000 of them in facilities from Michigan all the way to Texas participating in all of this. So they shut down 33 facilities, but also 22 parts distribution centers as well. Uh, There was a United Auto Workers union leader who said, had GM come to the table with its latest contract proposal before the 11th hour, they might not have uh, struck, but they did anyway. There's uh, some amazing pictures coming out of Farmington, Maine, of a building that exploded, a house. A firefighter was killed, and at least seven more were uh, seven more people were injured when this building in housing a center for people with disabilities blew up today. They got a call about a gas smell at the Life Enrichment Advancing People building, the LEAP building. They advanced, uh, they helped disadvantaged and disabled adults, and just after 8 in the morning, upon arrival and while investigating the scene, the building exploded. One firefighter, like I said, was killed. Seven other people, including four firefighters, a LEAP maintenance worker, a North Star ambulance employee, were all injured in this, but... The scene is unbelievable. It's literally like a bomb went off, which is, you know, kind of what explosions look like. Rick Okasik. Sorry, that's pronounced incorrectly. Rick Okasik, the singer, songwriter, rhythm guitarist for the Cars, found dead yesterday afternoon at his townhouse in Manhattan. Not clear exactly what killed him, although they do say there's no signs of foul play may have simply been natural causes. He was 75 years old. He, of course, uh, taught me at a young age that you can be as ugly as sin, and as long as you are talented and rich, you're going to find a beautiful woman. He married a supermodel, and they were married forever. Paula Poroskova, they they just got divorced, I think, this year. But she was the one who ended up finding him dead in the, uh, in the townhouse. Ten-year-old girl in Texas died today at a hospital about a week after she contracted a brain-eating amoeba while swimming in a river. Lily May Avant. Their parents said that uh, she spent Labor Day weekend with her family swimming in the Brazos River, which winds through their backyard in Whitney, Texas, a small city near Waco. She came down with what seemed like a common viral infection, headache, fever, But over the few days, she started acting strangely and then eventually became incoherent, unresponsive. She was flown to a children's hospital in Fort Worth, said that she had contracted Negleria falleri, a rare but deadly amoeba that lives in warm, fresh water like lakes, rivers, and hot springs. The fatality rate for an infection of that kind, 97%. Good news for people like Nick, Seinfeld is coming to Netflix. It's already on Hulu, I think. It is, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I, I, it's leaving in a couple years, I hear. And you're not willing to pay for Hulu. Uh, I am. I have Hulu. Oh, you do? I do, yeah. Well, then why is this such big news for you? You I, were so it, excited about because it. Because it's, I don't know, it's still there. <laughs> <laughs> they have not said uh, exactly how much Netflix paid NBC Universal for this. Currently, Hulu colds. Hulu holds the domestic streaming rights, but uh, those will expire in 2021, and it will have all 180 episodes available to 151 million subscribers around the world, and that means that Jane Wells is probably also going to get some more, some more residuals from that. And then finally, 
This is a fantastic story because Joshua Hensley, 43-year-old guy, was last seen by park rangers at Hunter Springs Park in Crystal River, Florida, Saturday night. He set off on the boat towards Shell Island to watch the sunset. Here's the thing. Our friend Joshua was dressed up as Captain Jack Sparrow, wearing brown colonial-style pants, a brown bandana, and brown and white jacket when he pushed off from shore to sail off into the sunset, literally. They can't find him. They don't know where he is. So there's a good chance that Josh Hensley is, um, uh, I don't know, down at Davy Jones' locker already? Yes. All right, we come back. Quick recap on uh, what's going on on our Gas Fantasy 4 play because nobody got anything right all weekend. What a mess. Two incredibly high-profile quarterbacks are out. We'll also talk about Antonio Brown, et cetera, et cetera. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. Gary Chen, KFI AM 640 Live, everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. If you missed uh, the interview that we did with, uh, we did the interview with Mike Rowe, of course, we're going to play it again, 1.30. Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs, somebody's got to do it, uh, talking about his push to get people into the trades, and we'll talk about the scholarships, actually, to make it available, so... That will come up at uh, 1.30. We're going to talk more about what's going on in Saudi Arabia. Of course, the Iranian missile attack, it sounds like, on the Saudi oil facilities. And what sort of response we are going to have, we being the United States. The president is expected to speak relatively soon. And when he does, we'll uh, bring some of those comments to you. But it's time for some uh, some football news. I don't think anybody won Gas Fantasy foreplay this week. We didn't find any. Nick, did you see any winners? I still gotta pour through those. Uh, yeah, in, pretty bad. I know that none of us did. Um, the Chargers were just absolutely hamstrung by injuries and their own mistakes yesterday, and ended up losing in Detroit. Shannon did post uh, her Bratwurst across America tour. She posted the picture of the one she got at Ford Field yesterday, and uh, I think the comment was something along the lines of "It sure tasted better than it looked," and I hope so because that thing looked like it was a mess. Uh, but the Antonio Brown story, I think, is what's dominating the NFL. Antonio Brown, the guy who threw such a uh, hissy fit when he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers that eventually he got signed by the Oakland Raiders and then completely took a giant steaming dump on that uh, training camp for the Oakland Raiders. So they got rid of him. The Patriots signed him right away. And then the week that the Patriots signed him, he is hit with a sexual assault allegation. There were questions about whether or not he was going to play yesterday because the NFL is opening an investigation and speaking with one of the accusers, sorry, speaking with uh, an accuser today. And he ended up catching a, a pass for a touchdown last night, uh, yesterday afternoon in, uh, in Miami, and then disappeared. Nobody could find him after the game. Well, now we understand that there is a second woman who's coming forward to accuse him of some sort of a sexual misconduct. 
Now, her story is that she was commissioned to paint a mural in his home. And she said that uh, the professional relationship soured when she rejected his advances. He was flirty with me, but I paid him no mind because I was there on business. Plus, I'd already seen him with multiple girls in the short time I was with him. And this woman says, I was about 40% done. Again, she's painting a mural. I was about 40% done on the second day, and I'm on my knees painting the bottom part of it. And he walks up to me butt-ass naked with a hand cloth covering his junk and starts having a conversation with me. She says, I just kept my cool and kept painting. After that, it all ended abruptly. She said that, that Antonio Brown ghosted her after this and said that her calls to his various assistants about being paid for her work went unanswered in all of that. Okay. We have to... I, I'm just... I feel like the using the word sexual assault in that context doesn't make any sense because he didn't physically touch her. Sexual misconduct? Yes, but even that sounds a little too technical. The guy's an a-hole. The guy's an arrogant, entitled a-hole. And not only does it play out in the way he handles his business football-wise, it's clearly the way he handles his business, literally, in front of women. But this woman, this mural painter, is now the second woman to accuse Antonio Brown of sexual misconduct just this month. Brittany Taylor is the uh, is Antonio Brown's former trainer, and she has accused him of rape in a civil lawsuit that was filed last week. The painter, in this case, is not going after any damages. She's not pursuing any charges. She just did uh, an interview with Sports Illustrated to say that she was bothered by his behavior. And she said that some of the friends that knew her story were the ones who told her, hey, this other woman says... Brittany Taylor says that Antonio Brown actually raped her. Now, she is meeting, Brittany Taylor is meeting with NFL officials in New York today as they're doing their own investigation into the rape. She had denied, uh, sorry, he, Antonio Brown, has denied raping her. He did not respond to a request for comment from Sports Illustrated on the second allegation. And like I said, after that game Yesterday in Miami, he was nowhere to be found. Uh, did not have any sort of uh, comments on any of this. But I, I mentioned Sports Illustrated. They're out with a pretty lengthy article, not just about the sexual misconduct, sexual assault allegations against Antonio Brown. They talk about a whole list of unpaid debts. Like, he doesn't pay his uh, the people that work for him. Uh, misconduct, theft from a charity auction multiple domestic incidents, all of that stuff. And the way that Sports Illustrated did this, they went through a whole series of court and police documents from three different states about all of this. When Antonio Brown, this is the way it starts, by the way, when Antonio Brown agreed to a one-year contract with the Patriots a little more than 24 hours before the first Sunday of the NFL season, it was supposed to be the end of the soap opera. But there's a question now whether or not Bill Belichick knew any of this before they went out, before they, the Patriots, went out and signed this guy. Because if the if you did, I mean, if you knew how much of an a-hole this guy was, don't you think that reflects poorly on your business model to hire him and get him onto the field? 
You've heard the argument that he's one of the top five, you know, receivers in all of the NFL right now. But is that is that worth it to you? I mean, Jacob could have held the the Dolphins to to zero points, and uh, I don't I don't know if you would have put forty three up on him, but you could have at least you could have held him scoreless like the Patriots did. Uh, so anyway, this Antonio Brown story is not over. In fact, if we get more and more people who come out and talk about uh, the allegations against him, it's only going to get worse for this guy. I would be very surprised if the NFL doesn't suspend him at least temporarily while they do their investigation. <clears throat> because the NFL has a horrible record when it comes to dealing with its players who are accused of this type of thing and then not coming down hard enough on the ones that are, you know, caught on tape and things like that. When we come back, we'll talk more about what's going on in Washington, D.C. When we do Swamp Watch, coming up on Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 Live, everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Rick Ocasek, lead singer, rhythm guitarist for the Cars, passed away yesterday. His wife posted on uh, Instagram, Rick was at home recuperating very well after surgery. Our two sons and I were making sure he was comfortable ordering food, watching TV. I found him still asleep when bringing him his Sunday morning coffee. I touched his cheek to rouse him. It was then I realized that during the night, he had peacefully passed on. So, uh, the uh, the story about what's going on with the Saudi oil attack, the president says it looks like Iran was behind it. It's clear that, um, or I should say, for the most part, it looks clear that Iran was behind it. The top of the hour, we're going to talk more about this. And we do expect the president to make some comments from the White House. When he does, we'll see if we can bring those to you. But in the meantime... It's time for Swamp Watch. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp Watch. Well, this is a uh, big story that just broke a few minutes ago. The... State prosecutors in Manhattan are subpoenaing the president's accounting firm to demand eight years of his personal and corporate tax returns. This subpoena issued by the Manhattan DA's office late last month, right after it opened a criminal investigation into the role that the president and his family played, uh, the family business, I should say, played in the payments that were made to Stormy Daniels, if you remember that whole story. Because we know that the president and the Trump organization reimbursed Michael Cohen, the uh, the fixer, the former fixer, for money that Michael Cohen actually paid to Stormy Daniels in the form of $130,000. You remember Michael Cohen, the weaselly guy who ended up in front of Congress? Mr. Cohen, you called Donald Trump a cheat in your opening testimony. Uh, what would you call yourself? A fool. Remember, he got sentenced to three years in, in jail for his federal campaign finance law violations. 
Now, federal prosecutors, those same federal prosecutors who went after Michael Cohen, put in a court filing in July that they had basically, uh, no, their term was they had effectively concluded their inquiry into the possible crimes that were committed by either the Trump company or any of its executives. But the DA in Manhattan, Cyrus Vance, now is exploring whether those reimbursements may have violated any New York state law. Now, here's what they're going to do. They're looking for, like I said, eight years worth of tax returns from Donald Trump and the Trump organization. It's a state crime if the company falsely accounts for these reimbursements as a legal expense. Because it's it's falsifying a business record. That can be a crime. It would be a felony, though, if prosecutors could prove that this false filing was then made to commit or conceal another crime, like a tax violation or bank fraud. Who knows what they thought? Who knows if there's anything in there, even? But remember, Donald Trump was the guy who said during the campaign over and over again he would return uh, release his tax returns and then never did. Okay, so that was broken by the New York Times. I don't know if the New York Times has learned from this, but they stepped on their own uh, Kavanaugh over the weekend. They published a an excerpt of a book that's coming out about Brett Kavanaugh and the whole history with him going to privileged schools and whipping out his Johnson in front of people. And when they put this in the paper over the weekend... They used a story in there from a former classmate of Brett Kavanaugh. And this former classmate, a dude named Max Steyer, says he saw Brett Kavanaugh with his pants down at a drunken dorm party when they were both freshmen. And friends pushed Brett Kavanaugh's penis into the hand of a female student. Listen, I've been wrestling with this in my head for the last, say... 36 hours, how does a friend push part of you into that person's hand? It doesn't make any sense to me, but whatever. Let's assume at this point that this is a new sexual assault allegation. What the New York Times didn't tell you when they first published the story was the female student whose hand was said to have been receiver of the penis That female student declined to be interviewed by these two women, and the friends say she doesn't even recall the episode. Now, that's not not saying it didn't happen, but that is a massive fact that you cannot leave out of that story. The New York Times got blown up for this all over the Internet. And now when you go and read that story, they did include that extra sentence. The female student declined to be interviewed, and friends say she does not recall the episode. They did not include that when they first published that story. But in the meantime, several of the Democratic presidential candidates are now lining up to call for the impeachment of a Supreme Court justice. Kamala Harris said after the Times report that Brett Kavanaugh lied to the U.S. Senate, most importantly to the American people, he must be impeached. Remember, she's also the one who jumped to the defense of crime victim Jussie Smollett. Elizabeth Warren said confirmation is not exoneration. These newest revelations are disturbing. Like the man who appointed him, Kavanaugh should be impeached. Beto O'Rourke tweeted, 
We know he lied under oath. He should be impeached. And he accused the Senate of forcing the FBI to rush the investigation to save the nomination. Julian Castro, it's more clear than ever that Brett Kavanaugh lied under oath. Bernie Sanders didn't refer to impeachment by name, but he did say he would support any appropriate constitutional mechanism to hold Kavanaugh accountable. The only constitutional mechanism is impeachment, a-hole. Cory Booker wrote, this new allegation and additional corroborating evidence adds to a long list of reasons why Brett Kavanaugh should not be a Supreme Court justice. People think people think he should be impeached for that. I'm not saying he's a good guy. I'm saying that those are still the actions of a guy who's a total a-hole. But, dot, dot, dot. All right, we come back. Story time with Uncle Joe. We got to get back into this. Not a joke. Not a joke. Hey, buddy, get off that board. You. Off the board, or I'll come up and drag you off. Yeah, tough guy, Joe Biden. We'll tell you about his knife and chain fight story with Corn Pop. Everybody knows Corn Pop is a bad dude. Corn Pop was a bad dude. Bad dude. Sounds like something out of West Side Story. Wasn't that a a movie about gangs or something? Yeah. I don't know. I never saw it. What? You've never seen West Side Story? No, I didn't see West Side Story. Amy. Amy, Amy, Amy. What? It was a long time ago. I once met a girl named Maria. You've never. All right. You, off the board. Get I'll out of here. Drag you off. I'll drag you out of I'm here. Going. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM six forty live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. President speaking from the Oval Office. And we're going to be discussing all of those things. We'll certainly be discussing what took place over the last two days in Saudi Arabia. Absolutely. And uh, we'll be discussing the Middle East. But our relationship has never been stronger than it is right now. And I think that is largely based on the relationship that we have. So I look forward to having our discussion. Thank you, Mr. Thank President. You. It's thank a great pleasure much. to be here. Would like to say something? Well, I would like to say thank the President for receiving me and my delegation uh, here today. I'm here to convey the greetings of His Majesty and the people of Bahrain. To strengthen uh, the relationship. He's sitting there. By the way, this is um, the Bahrainian Prime Minister, uh, Salman bin Hamad al-Khalifa, in the Oval Office with the President. Discussions related to security enhancement and trade enhancement. We signed today a agreement to purchase additional, or to purchase our first uh, Patriot missile battery systems, right. and it couldn't have come at a better time. Good timing. Absolutely. And we, we seek to strengthen America's ability to trade with the world, and we have some concrete ideas on how we can do that. Well, thank you very much. Thank I look you, forward Mr. to the day and spending time with you. And thank you all very much. I'll be doing a news conference outside in a little while, just prior to the trip. We're going to New Mexico and to other places uh, for two and a half days, and many of you will be with us, and I look forward to that. But in particular, I look forward to our meeting. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, it's looking that way. We'll have some pretty good, uh, uh, we're having some very strong studies done, but it's certainly looking that way at this moment, and uh, we'll let you know. As soon as we find out definitively, we'll let you know, but it does look that way. 
Do I want war? I don't want war with anybody. I'm somebody that would like not to have war. We have the strongest military in the world. We've spent more than a trillion and a half dollars in the last short period of time on our military. Nobody's even come close. We have the best equipment in the world. We have the best missiles. And as you say, you just bought the Patriot system. There's nothing even close. Uh, but uh, no, I don't want war with anybody, but we're prepared more than anybody. Uh, two and a half years ago, I will tell you, it was not the same thing. And with what we've done, we've totally rebuilt our military in so many different ways, but we've rebuilt it. And uh, there's nobody that has the F-35. We have the best fighter jets, the best rockets, the best missiles, the best equipment. Uh, but with all of that being said, we'd certainly like to avoid it. What are the options, Mr. President? What are the options of non-military? Well, we have a lot of options, but uh, I'm not looking at options right now. We want to find definitively who did this. Uh, we're dealing with Saudi Arabia. We're dealing with the Crown Prince and so many other of your neighbors. And we're all talking about it together. We'll see what happens. Is it the responsibility of Saudi Arabia to... Say it. Well, I have no meeting scheduled. I know they want to meet. I know they're not doing well as a country. Iran has got a lot of problems right now that uh, two and a half years ago, and even a little bit more than that when I came in, it's hard to believe. It's almost three years. But two and a half to three years ago, they were causing a lot of trouble, and we'll see what happens. But uh, we'll let you know definitively. Or if there, as you know, there are ways to uh, see definitively where they came from, and we have all of those ways, and that's being checked out right now. Well, you know, there were always conditions because the conditions, if you look at it, the sanctions are not going to be taken off. So if the sanctions, that's a condition. So, you know, that's why the press misreported it. Uh, the biggest thing you can talk about are the sanctions, and the sanctions are massive. There's never been sanctions put on a country like that. And I think they have a tremendous future, but not the way they're behaving. We'll see what happens in terms of this attack. Uh, Secretary Pompeo and others will be going over to Saudi Arabia at some point to discuss what they feel they're going to make a statement fairly soon. Uh, but they also know something that most people don't know as to where it came from, who did it. And we'll be able to find that out and figure that out very quickly. We pretty much already know. Is the president prepared for war? Say it. You said the United States is prepared for war? Uh, the United States is more prepared than any country in the history of, of in any history, if we have to go that way. Uh, as to whether or not we go that way, we'll see. We'll have to find out definitively who did it. Uh, we have to speak to Saudi Arabia. They have to have a lot of, uh, they have to have a lot in the game also, and you know they're willing to do that. Uh, I think everybody knows they're willing to do that. So we'll be meeting with Saudi Arabia. We'll be talking to Saudi Arabia. We'll be talking to UAE and many of the neighbors out there that we're very close friends with. We're also talking to Europe, a lot of the countries that we're dealing with, whether it's France, Germany, etc. Uh, talking to a lot of different folks, and we're figuring out what they think. But I will tell you, that was a very large attack and it could be met with an attack many, many times larger very easily by our country. But we're going to find out who definitively did it first. Can we clarify, Mr. President? So you said that you think that Iran is responsible for the attack. Do you think that I, I didn't say that. I, why do you, you say said, that? I said, said that, that we think we know who it was, but I didn't say anybody. But uh, certainly it would look 
to most like it was Iran, but I did not say it the way you said. Go ahead. Do you think it was launched from Iran as the second time? You're going to find out in great detail in the very near future. We have the exact locations of just about everything. You're going to find out at the right time, but it's too early to tell you that now. Do you want to release your own to help cushion the oil prices that are rising now? Well, they haven't risen very much, and we have the strategic oil reserves, which are massive, and we can uh, release a little bit of that. And uh, other countries, including Bahrain, but other countries can be a little bit more generous with the oil, and you'd bring it right down. So, no, that's not a problem. It went up $5, and uh, that, that is not a problem. Mr. President, Mr. President, and you have to remember, we're now the largest uh, producer of oil and gas in the world. So. A lot of people in the old days, and this happened over the last very short period of time, uh, were number one in the world by far. Yes, you right? are. By far. So uh, I never want to be benefited that way. But the fact is, uh, there are those that say we benefit. I don't view that as a benefit, but we are certainly uh, — we take in more money than anybody else from energy, not even close. Mr. President, do you still think it's the responsibility of the Saudis to defend themselves? No, oh, I think I think it is certainly the responsibility of them to do a big a big deal of their defense. Certainly, uh, I also think it's the responsibility of the Saudis to, uh, if somebody like us, which are the ones, uh, are going to help them, uh, they, I know that monetarily will be very much involved in paying for that. This is something that's much different than other presidents would mention, John. But the fact is that the Saudis. Uh, are going to have a lot of uh, involvement in this if we decide to do something. Uh, they'll be very much involved, and that includes payment, and they understand that fully. But they're going to be uh, — look, they're very upset. They're very angry. Uh, they know pretty much what we know. They know pretty much where they came from. And we're looking for the final checkpoints, and I think you won't be surprised to see who did it. Okay. We'll be discussing it. Yeah, we'll be discussing it. Well, we're going to see what I mean. It's the elections on Tuesday, so uh, it's like it's tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> so you have an election tomorrow. So I, I would think it would be afterwards. Okay, but we, uh, you do have an election, big, big election tomorrow in Israel, and uh, that'll be a very interesting outcome. It's going to be close. Going to be a close election. All right, you've been listening to um, President Trump. There, he is uh, hosting right now the Bahrainian Prime Minister uh, for just some normal, otherwise already planned talks. The Prime Minister Salman bin Hamad Al Khalifa there in the Oval Office, and answering a lot of questions about the attack on the Saudi Arabian oil field and what response, if any, the United States is going to have. And he was very careful to say, "I don't want war with anyone." But it does look like Iran was probably behind the uh, the strikes on the Saudi oil fields and that they were waiting for all of the confirmation before uh, any sort of decision is made about what sort of a response we're going to have. So keep an ear on that. If there's anything else, of course, we'll bring that to you. And we come back, we're going to talk exactly about that. Ines de la Quatera is going to join us from Washington, D.C. with the latest on what is going on with the president and what sort of a response we're going to have to the attack on the Saudi oil field. Coming up on Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Shannon's out today. A little uh, 
A little mouth surgery. She'll be back tomorrow. And we'll try not to make her smile or laugh was the instructions from the doctor. So That shouldn't be too tough. Ah. Ah. Let's keep it. We'll just keep it uh, calm tomorrow, perhaps. Uh, well, oil prices up uh, about 13%, uh, just about 62 bucks a barrel for sweet, light crude. All, of course, because of the attack on the Saudi Arabian oil facility that we believe now was uh, done by Iran. The president was holding a news conference just a short time ago from the Oval Office, meeting with the Bahrainian prime minister, and said this. Uh, certainly it would look... To most like it was Iran, but I did not say it the way you said. Go ahead. Do you think it was launched from Iran? The You're going to find out in great detail in the very near future. We have the exact locations of just about everything. You're going to find out at the right time, but it's too early to tell you that now. All right. So we're making the case, it sounds like. And joining us to talk more about this from Washington is ABC News correspondent Inez de la Quintera. Uh Inez, what is it that, that the president needs in terms of this concrete evidence before he'll come out and say it was Iran behind this attack? Yeah, so here's where we're at. So there were drone strikes carried out over the weekend in Saudi Arabia, like you mentioned, that targeted an oil facility and knocked out 5% of the world's daily crude oil production. So that's, of course, uh, disrupting global markets uh, everywhere. The... um, Yemen has now come forward to claim responsibility for the attack. So it seems the Trump administration doesn't believe Yemen. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, he's calling out Iran. Iran denies the attack. And President Trump, uh, he was initially reluctant to say he believes Iran is to blame. He um, tweeted that there is reason to believe we know the culprit. And as you mentioned in that um, Oval Office meeting just now, he did say that, um, you know, there's they're not there yet with regards to saying for sure that Iran was behind the attack, that they do have evidence um, that seems to point towards Iran being the culprit. Uh, ABC News is being told that the administration does have proof it was Iran and that they were going to present that evidence to the president today at a meeting at the White House that included senior administration officials and Mike Pompeo. And they were going to discuss at that meeting also how to respond to these attacks. We don't yet know what came of that meeting, what this evidence is. Um, but we are watching closely to see when they do share that information publicly. Uh, and I know the president has some travel plans. I think he's headed out to New Mexico tonight. He'll actually be here in California tomorrow sometime. Um, does that have any impact on the briefings that he's going to be getting from intelligence officials? He'll probably still be getting the same um, kinds of briefings. And we know that he did just say uh, during the, that um, meeting in the Oval Office that he would be taking more questions uh, before leaving to New Mexico. So we're hoping to get a little bit more uh, information there. I think probably what was most interesting out of this um, meeting at the uh, Oval Office, the, this pool spray where he took questions, which was that he said he doesn't want war with Iran, which I think is the, the big question. What everybody is concerned about here is whether the U.S. is going to take military action. Um, he said he doesn't want war with Iran, but that the U.S. is more prepared for a conflict than any country in history. And then he said, quote, with uh, all that being said, we'd certainly like to avoid it. Um, can we go back to his tweet where he referred to the United States being locked and loaded? I, I can't find any other reference to that term being used outside of an explanation for military readiness. But the vice president's chief of staff came out and tried to pull back from that. 
Yeah, and it certainly is something that has a lot of people uh, worried, locked and loaded, typically, you know, refers to military action. So that, again, is the, the big question here, especially given tense relations with Iran recently. So you'll remember in May, Iran is shooting down an unmanned American drone that flew over the region. Iran said it had crossed into Iranian airspace. Trump actually tweeted about that incident again in the aftermath of these recent um, drone strikes. He said they stuck so strongly to that story, so referring to what happened in May, knowing it was a very big lie. Now they say they had nothing to do with the attack on Saudi Arabia. We'll see. It's certainly concerning. You'll remember at that time, the president almost conducted a strike on Iranian missile batteries inside Iran. He called off that strike at the last minute. But lots, lots of questions there over whether, you know, this drone strike on the oil facility in Saudi Arabia could launch a repeat of that, um, you know, especially when he's tweeting, like, locked and loaded. Um, that's certainly concerning. <laughs> hey, and then what what chance do you think, uh, if there is any likelihood that the president will meet with any Iranian leadership next week at the uh, U.N. General Assembly? At the U.N., yeah. So we're still watching that um, to see what happens. We don't have any guidance with regards to that yet, um, but that's certainly a big question. They will be together in the, you know, the same place. Um, is that going to happen? We'll, we'll, we'll see, especially now that John Bolton's out of the mix. How is that going to um, play out? We're just um, waiting to see. All right. Awesome. Inez, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And as de la Cutera there from Washington, D.C., with the latest on all of this. Um, and like she said, the president is expected to take some more questions as he leaves the White House and gets uh, gets out into the helicopter to make his way over to uh, out here to New Mexico. So in the event that he says anything there, we will uh, pay attention to that as well. OK, had to push this back because the president was speaking, but. Corn Pop. Corn Pop was a bad dude. The story that Joe Biden told a couple of years ago about his life as a white lifeguard in a predominantly black neighborhood pool is probably the funniest thing you're going to hear all day. Hey, Esther. And it it just goes down the, the, the path of Joe Biden being 190 years old in the body of a 79-year-old man. Not a joke. It is not a joke, I swear. But listen, you got to get off that board, you, mister. Off the board. I'll come up and drag you off. Yeah! Tough guy Joe when we come back. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Shannon will be back tomorrow. Little uh, dental issue she had taken care of today. President, I mentioned, is on his way to uh, New Mexico. He'll be leaving the White House shortly to board Marine One, eventually make his way to Joint Base Andrews, and then a rally tonight in Albuquerque before he comes out to California tomorrow. Talks between GM and United Auto Workers are continuing, but... Almost 50,000 UAW members walked off the job at midnight after the union said months of negotiation over wages, plant closures, and other issues had not budged very much. We've been playing Cars music all day because Rick Ocasek died. And by the way, apparently that's how you say his name. I Who didn't, knew? For like my whole uh, life it was Ocasek. Yes. Do you know how old I was when I found out that it's Ocasek? I'm sorry, Ocasek. Uh, how old are you today? Today. I was today. Okay. That's why how old I was. That this was the morning, first show I ever I even, saw. I exclaimed out loud to Nick, that's not his name. His name's not Ocasek. It's Ocasek. 
And I, there was somebody who wrote it up in the New York Times, the obituary today, actually put a pronouncer in there because it's such a, because everybody says it one way. Anyway, we always dead. have, and I think we got the the age wrong too. I was saying it was seventy five because yeah. that's what everybody's been reporting. Right. But now some are saying seventy, and so nobody's quite sure. Well, exactly. the the official arbiter of all date death dates, uh, Wikipedia says it was seventy five. So who knows? All right. No, but pop. you can't you can't change your own Wikipedia page. So well, I could change yours. Yeah. Okay. Well, that'd make me a bad dude. Corn pop was a bad dude, <laughs> just like corn pop. Here's the thing about Joe Biden, right? In the last couple of weeks, maybe even a couple of months, Joe Biden and his propensity for gaffes has become a headline. It's become one of the central things that we talk about when we talk about the Democratic nomination and the fight therefore. Even from last week's debate on Thursday night in Houston, he had a hard time putting sentences together. And I mentioned that. He had a hard time following through with things as he was trying to argue his way through the policy wonk world that is a Democratic debate like that. And then I saw this video. This video is from 2017, and it's in Wilmington, Delaware where a pool was being renamed after Joe Biden. They're going to call it the Joseph R. Biden Jr. Aquatic Center. The Bert, uh, used to be the Brown Burton Winchester Park. And the thing is, Joe Biden used to work there in the early 60s when he was a young guy rolling around in his Pontiac Trans Am. He, he was the only white lifeguard, if I heard this right, the only white lifeguard in the predominantly black neighborhood pool. And he tells a story to these kids. By the way, most of these kids are standing around next to him because they want to go swimming. And that's what they're waiting for. And Uncle Joe starts telling a story about kind of how much of a badass he is. The problem is he tells it in such a way that it sounds unbelievable. And the craziest thing about this corn pop story is apparently everything is true, 100%. He can't get the details right on other stories, but he can remember this incident back in 1962 when he came face-to-face with corn pop. I learned a lot, and I learned that uh, it makes a difference. This was the diving board area, and I was one of the guards, and there were a lot of, there was a three-meter board. And you fell off sideways, you landed on the damn, uh, the darn cement over there. And Corn Pop was a bad dude. And he ran a bunch of bad boys. And I did, he, and back in those days, to show how things have changed, one of the things you had to use, if you used pomade in your hair, you had to wear a bathing cap. And so he was up on the board, wouldn't listen to me. I said, hey, Esther, you, off the board, or I'll come up and drag you off. Well, he came off. And he said, I'll meet you outside. My car, this was mostly, these were all public housing behind it. My car, there was a gate out here. I parked my car outside the gate. And I, he said, I'll be waiting for you. He was waiting for three guys in straight razors. Not a joke. There was a guy named Bill Wright, Mouse, the only white guy, and he did all the pools. He was the mechanic. And I said, what am I going to do? He said, come down here in the basement 
where mechanics, where, where, where all the pool f filter is. What? You know the chain? There used to be a chain that went across Here it the comes. deep end. Here it comes. And he cut off a six-foot length of chain. He folded up. He said, you walk out with that chain. And you walk to the car and say, you may cut me, man, but I'm going to wrap this chain around your head. <laughs> I said, you kidding me? He said, no, if you don't, don't come back. And he was right. So I walked out with the chain. And I walked up to my car. Get him, Joe. In those days, you used to remember the straight race. You'd bang them on the curb. Get, get him, him rusty, Joe. Put them in a rain barrel. Get him rusty. And I looked at him. But I was smart then. I said, first of all, I said, when I tell you to get off the board, you get off the board. And I'll kick you out again. But I shouldn't have called you, Esther Williams. I apologize for what? that. What? I apologize. But I didn't know that apology was going to work. He said, you apologize to me? I said, I apologize for that. Not for throwing you out. But I apologize for what I said. He said, okay, close the straight razor, and my heart began to beat again. <laughs> okay, hold on a second. Joe Biden was about to wrap a chain around a dude's head as they were going to slash him with rusty straight razors, and then he apologized to defuse the situation. That is the greatest story Joe Biden has ever told. By the way, there really is a corn pop. I'm sorry, there really was a corn pop. Corn pop was a bad dude. There was a guy who did live in Wilmington, Delaware, who went by the name Corn Pop and died a few years ago at the age of 19, uh, at the age of 73. Uh, a Wilmington mayor confirmed that that guy, Corn Pop, was the same guy to whom Joe Biden was referring. Hey, Esther. When he said, hey, Esther. And he did lead a gang called the Romans. Not a joke. Not a joke. Not a joke. Congratulations, Uncle Joe. That's a fantastic story. I just want to know, well, what would have happened had he got into the fight with the guys? Like, they didn't take the apology, and Joe Biden got slashed by a straight razor. When we come back, uh, Mike Rowe, host of... Uh, Dirty jobs. Somebody's got to do it. Mike Rowe is going to join us. We're going to talk about things that make him go, hmm. Specifically, why are we pushing kids into four-year colleges if they don't want to go? Interview with Mike Rowe is coming up next on Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon. KFI AM 640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Stories we're watching. Saudi military spokesman says their investigation shows that it was Iranian weapons that were used in the attack on the oil fields over the weekend. President's on his way out west, as a matter of fact. He's going to be stopping in New Mexico for a rally tonight and then makes his way to California for a couple of events tomorrow. We'll keep an eye on those. Hey, uh, Mike Rowe, about five years ago, I got a chance to interview Mike Rowe, the guy from Dirty Jobs and Somebody's Got to Do It and Returning the Favor. And we talked about MikeRoweWorks.org. A way to uh, to talk about trade school as a great option. One of the things that Mike did for me back then was he actually gave me sort of a, an open letter to my son. At the time he was in high school, we weren't sure if he wanted to go to college or not. And he decided not to, at least not yet. And part of it was because of Mike's attitude towards trades. There's a great opportunity for a lot of people to make a lot of money. And we need people. We need people in those jobs. Mike Rowe. Host of Dirty Jobs and the Way I Heard It podcast. 
is joining us. Hey, Mike, first of all, thanks for taking all the time for us today. Yeah. Hey, man, thanks for having me back. Tell me about your boy. What's he doing now? Uh, well, he's he's done a couple of things. He's working in a tire shop, but uh, he got into welding after a while, um, got into car mm -hmm. sales after a while, which is an odd twist for a 19-year-old boy. Um, <laughs> but but we decided, I mean, my, my wife and I made the decision with him we're not going to have the fight of trying to get trying to shoehorn a kid into a four-year university. I'm not going to pay for it if he doesn't want to go. Yeah, well, look, I mean, times have changed. You know, when you and I grew up, you could basically have the same kind of conversation with your kid and punt. Because if you looked at a liberal arts degree, you could say, okay, well, you know, it, it's, it's not going to hurt him or her. And just because you're not quite sure what you want to do doesn't mean it's not worth spending some money to get a broad-based look at what the options are. But obviously, you know, for me, that was back in 1980, and I wound up getting a four-year liberal arts degree uh, that cost about $12,000. And today, the exact same thing from the exact same school would cost closer to ninety. So you, you can't just sit down and pretend like you have all of the money in the world and go out and experiment. It, the, the cost of entry just got too steep. So what would you say to a 19-year-old kid? I mean, no, I'm not going to ask you to, to uh, tailor a letter to him like you did five years ago. But, I mean, here's a kid who, you know, in terms of what he wants to do, he knows he wants to work. He gets great enjoyment out of working. Uh, and he's mm -hmm. and he's smart enough to put this stuff together. Uh, I have always said, if you want to go to school at some point down the road, I got you. I got your back. I have socked away money since you were a baby to plan for that sort of a thing. Um, isn't it better that you wait to figure out what it is you want to do? Well, look, I don't want to overreach, but one thing, in my opinion, is is certain. You can't want for your kid something more than he wants for him. And it's natural, obviously, to want what's best for our kids, but we don't always know. And if they're not sure either, it just comes back to the same basic calculus. How much can we afford to spend in the absence of certainty versus how much time do you want to spend post high school really taking an honest look at all of the options that are out there. And when I say all of the options, I, I really mean that. You know, there's some, there's some terrific paths that can open up as the result of getting a, a four-year degree. I would, I would never dispute it. But so many kids don't even get a look at the potential path to prosperity that begins with the mastery of a trade. And this is part of the trick, Gary. It's, it's part of the lie, too. We... We kind of frame this conversation in terms of, okay, well, if you go here, this is your job, period, the end. If you learn to weld, you're going to weld for the next 30 years. Well, of course, that's not the way it works. You know, these are, especially in the skilled trades, you, you have to look at it like a ladder, and you have to look at the rungs, truly, as opportunities to increase your mastery and move on to the next thing. The reason that I'm still doing what I'm doing in terms of running this foundation is because after 11 years now, we actually have a thousand or so examples of people who started down a path with a, with a mastery of, say, a welding certification or uh, carpentry 
or plumbing or steam fitting or pipe fitting or mechanical. These things will never hurt you. You know, it's dating. You don't have to marry them and get it into your head that that's what you're going to be forever and ever. Amen. That's part of the uh, that's part of the lie that's baked into the transaction. And not to make it sound overly sinister, but I do believe it's all part of a of a larger effort to push the largest amount of kids into a funnel that essentially is the most expensive path. And it's simply not the best path for the most people. It's just the most expensive. Yeah, I, I, I think back to um, to the expectation, I guess, when I was growing up, both of my older sisters went to college and there was just an assumption I was going to go to college. But somebody asked me about 10 years ago, one of the local universities uh, had me out to talk to the class and they asked, you know, uh, if I could do the communications degree again, would I? And I said, Hell no, not at all. Not not only was it expensive, but the things that I learned about communication are all things that would either be corrected or completely dispelled by the time I got into the business. So, well, <laughs> no, I'm just laughing because I I I went through the same exact thing. I I majored in speech and communications, and to this day, if you go to the classified section, you're not gonna. You're not going to see a lot of openings for communicators or <laughs> right. speechifiers. Now, you will find openings for welders and plumbers. So, you know, I know that's kind of a glib thing to say because, to be fair, you know, my everything I learned in those communications courses did improve my capacity to perform in a lot of different areas, but it didn't guarantee me anything. And so the idea that we're baking into the transaction some kind of promise, you get your degree and then this is going to happen, that's the first thing that's utterly fallacious and has to be uh, debunked. But the second thing that you just kind of alluded to that really has changed since the days when you and I matriculated um, is, is the cell phone or the, the smartphone that's in your pocket right now or sitting there on the console, you have, with that thing, access to 99% of all the known information. I can, right now, hop online, go to YouTube, and I can watch excellent lectures on communications uh, at Yale or MIT or Harvard or Brown or William & Mary or any of the Ivy League. Part of what we paid for once upon a time was access to information, access to, to big brains and, and good professors who could impart information in a compelling way. Well, guess what? That's all available right now, basically for free to anyone with a device or an internet hookup. So I don't really mean to, to compare you know, a, a four-year experience at Princeton with going down a series of YouTube videos. But I do a little bit because fundamentally the, the information is the same. And if you're possessed with a curious mind and you're determined to give yourself a broad-based understanding of the liberal arts, you can do that now for pennies on the dollar. Mike, can you stick around for another segment? 
I'm never leaving, Gary. Oh, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. Uh, <laughs> we're talking with uh, with Mike Rowe, and when we come back, I want to ask more about the Mike Rowe Works Foundation and this PR campaign that we've started to try to get more people into the into skilled labor because uh, we're going to need it coming up soon. Uh, again, Mike Rowe is our guest. We'll come back with him in just a second. Gary and Shannon will continue. <laughs> Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Having a conversation with uh, Mike Rowe, you know, from Dirty Jobs and Somebody's Got to Do It. Mike, uh, tell us about the Work Ethic Scholarship Program. Well, at base, it's an attempt to reward the kind of behavior I think most people would like to encourage. There are scholarships out there for just about everything. You know, we've got money set aside. Uh, as a society for people who achieve great things academically or um, athletically or even artistically. But it struck me back in 2008 that there really wasn't a program designed to reward and encourage work ethic. And, of course, it's difficult to define that. It means different things to different people. But for me, it was a celebration of the kinds of people we profiled on dirty jobs, people who show up early, stay late and most importantly, master a skill that was truly in demand. So in 2008, when the economy really tanked um, and it became obvious that aside from having millions of unemployed people, we also had millions of open positions that employers just couldn't fill. It became obvious there was a skills gap, and we figured the uh, part of the problem was that people just weren't celebrating certain opportunities opportunities that had come or become synonymous with a kind of, uh, we call it a, a vocational consolation prize. So back to the college thing, you know, these are the jobs you do if you're not cut out for college. The whole positioning was just wrong and the whole presentation was just uninteresting. So my foundation tries to put viable uh, opportunities in a better light by disproving the myths and misperceptions that typically keep millions of kids from pursuing those opportunities. The Work Ethics Scholarship Fund is just a, a, a chunk of money, modest by most foundation standards. We've given away between five and six million dollars, but it all goes towards people who are, who are committed uh, to working hard uh, in the pursuit of mastering a skill. It's not necessarily their wish fulfillment, but rather a skill that's truly in demand that society needs filled. Uh, you can find out more information about the Work Ethics Scholarship Program when you go to microworks.org. Uh, but, Mike, you've been you've been busy with your podcast, The Way I Heard It, of course. You can hear it on the iHeartRadio app because we have to say that uh, at anywhere podcasts are played. Uh, but you have a book coming out next month, too. Yeah, the, the whole podcast thing got out of control. You know, it started <laughs> with uh, I write... I write short stories for the curious mind with a short attention span and the style of the old Paul Harvey, um, the rest of the story. Uh, I call mine the way I heard it. I've got about 150 of them out there. And then uh, a publisher called, Simon & Schuster, and said, how about a book? So I said, yeah, I'll write a book. So the book's called The Way I Heard It. <laughs> and uh, it comes out in a couple of weeks. And we're all excited about it. And now there's a TV show by the same title as well that I just finished shooting last week. So... You know, this thing started as me sitting on planes trying to amuse myself with short mysteries, and now it's uh, completely out of control, for which I'm grateful. Hey, the good news is you don't have to print new T-shirts every time you come up with a title for something. It's 
<laughs> well, well, the truth is, I've been doing the same damn show, you know, since since 2001. I just changed the title every few years. So, <laughs> Dirty Jobs became Somebody's Got to Do It. Somebody's Got to Do It became Returning the Favor. Returning the Favor is now, you know, the way I heard it. So, you know, it's back to the communications degree we were talking about. In the end, this is what you and I do. It's really just a question of trying to keep ourselves amused and, uh, you know, shining it off and buffing it up every couple of years and hopefully staying relevant or something like it (laughs) to to that end i think there's something like you know i i get to sit here and do this for four hours a day and i come home uh and i want to do i want to build a bookcase or i want to replace the window or i want to fix the sliding glass there's something so satisfying about having physically accomplished something at the end of the day as opposed to sitting around for four hours and visually People ask me all the time, you know, what the dirty jobbers know that, that so many other people have forgotten. And it's a long list of things, but somewhere near the top is that sense of completion, yeah. where if you're in the middle of a construction project, for instance, you can look around any time during the day and you know exactly how you're doing. You don't need a foreman or a boss to tell you. You can you can gauge your own progress as you go. And there are a lot of jobs that, that don't offer that today. But, uh, yeah, your kid is, you know, on the track uh to be surrounded by by immediate gratification or feedback anyway uh, for the rest of his career. That's that's a cool thing. Well, Mike, I hope that uh, next time you're in L.A., you come by and uh, we hang out. I'll buy you a cup of coffee or something. Well, you know what? If you do that, I'll bring an autographed version of my book, The Way I Heard It, and uh, with my compliments. Awesome. <laughs> and you can find out more. Pre-order the book, MikeRowe.com slash book. You can find it everywhere, uh, other places that books are sold as well. But, Mike, thanks again for your time today. Hey, and I appreciate the invite. Give, uh, give my best to your kid. I, I will. I applaud what he's doing. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. You got it. Again, you can check it out, microworks.org, R-O-W-E, and also microworks.com. Shannon's back tomorrow. Don't worry. John and Ken are up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. So this is over. Yes. Gary and Shannon. And it's not something to clap about. It's sad.